This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, it's Derby week, but with a twist. Just six more days to wait until Liverpool are back in Premier League action on today, the day that Mohamed Salah turns 28. We've plenty to get into here on the Blood Red podcast. I'm Guy Clark. Alongside me, our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst and Dan Kay. Gentlemen, how are we both? Good. I just had a week off. Come back refreshed over the weekend and glad to be back on the pod. I think it's the first one I've done for a while because I think I might have had a Friday off and maybe a Monday, so glad to be back on duty. Good to have you. Yeah, same, same here. I think it's my first pod for a little while also, but it uh, feels no better time to be getting back into it. Started Derby week, the sun's shining, and finally we're very close to having some actual football talk to get our teeth stuck into, so happy days, yeah. Yeah, as I say, right at the top, it's Derby week. It, it very much is with a twist. We know there's going to be no fans at Goodison. We, we still don't know, obviously, if it's the game in which Liverpool can secure the title, Gorsty. But I suppose the whole week, the whole feeling for it is now. Everybody's just itching and waiting for Sunday to come round. Exactly, yeah. I've written a piece for, for the site, which is going on later on today. And I think it's, it's almost just kind of like an overview of the last three months and and so much has happened. Absolutely none of it's been on the pitch. But you think of the Liverpool's furlough decision, the Henderson starting the players' initiative, the the donation of the wages for the NHS, the community work that the club have done off the pitch, the, the Black Lives Matter stuff last month. So much has gone on. Um, and now finally, um, after such a long while, we're getting round to talking about who's going to be playing left-back, who's going to be the centre-mid, who's going up front. Actual, tangible footy talk and... It's great to finally be able to be able to, to have this discussion, isn't it? After so so much of talking about other things that uh, are, are very serious, but uh, finally um, the, the less important stuff should be said. If the actual footy comes back and we can all get stuck into it, I, mean, I, I can't wait. Yeah, what was it, Dan? The seventh of March was it? Bournemouth came to Anfield the 11th Atletico Madrid. So we're well over three months since that date. And even those pictures that came out last week of Blackburn Rovers being at Anfield, just Liverpool being back in action against the side wearing a different jersey, it just felt, I suppose, exciting would probably be the word. Absolutely. I mean, it it feels like a lifetime or several lifetimes in some ways. The esteemed Jed Ray, one of Liverpool's official statisticians, tweeted this morning that it is now 100 days today since Liverpool played their last game which is the longest period they've ever not played football obviously even taking into account closed seasons till the big freeze of 1962-63 which is even before my time so it, it's been a very very unusual period and obviously you know our, our thoughts and are very much with those who've been very you know, directly affected and who've lost people during this this terrible pandemic and you know it, football still in many ways seems like small beer in comparison to that but as has always been the case, as Jurgen Klopp has said many times, football is, you know, the most important, unimportant thing of the world. It provides a very welcome diversion from the stresses and strains of everyday of everyday life at the best of times. And I think we're all kind of ready for it. I think we've all got our heads around how it's going to be. I mean, at the start of it, I was very much with my supporters hat on thinking, well, I don't care if I've got to wait a year. You know, I don't want any football until we can all get back into the ground. But it's just not practical. It's just not feasible in a business sense. But but also, I think, in, in terms for the, for the clubs themselves, I mean, we all saw what happened to Tranmere Rovers last week. We've been relegated very harshly from League One. Uh, and you know, that's, you know, that's probably a million and one podcast in itself, that tale. But but the reality is, 
the, the business, the infrastructure of football needs to get going because it's not just, as some of the more harsh critics might say, about, you know, it's not just about the game itself, it's, it's people's livelihoods. You know, the, the, the clubs play an important, really important part in communities, not just in terms of what they do between three o'clock and five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, but week in, week out. So seeing the wheels starting to grind into motion again and, you know, as, as is starting to happen, is, is a very, very welcome sight, I think, for, for many people. Yeah, those joining us on YouTube, we're going to talk all about Mohamed Salah coming up. But if you have any questions you want to put to either Gorsley or Dan, write in the comments section and we will certainly get into a number of those questions. But Gorsley, on it being Derby week, this is so often the time and we were we were in the throes of it actually before the lockdown came in, before we all started working from home of getting excited for this derby, the one at Goodison. Are Liverpool going to win that first league title in 30 years at Goodison? The whole build-up to it for the whole week, it's often a very nervy affair. But this time around, as I said with Dan, I think it is more just complete excitement, actually, that the football's going to be back and intrigue as to what the atmosphere is going to be like at Goodison. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, normally Liverpool fans are a little bit on tense hooks about travelling to Everton. It's usually the, it's one of the most intimidating atmospheres for any club, never mind, you know, their most fierce rivals and, and Liverpool's as well. So it's um, it's it's going to be completely different this time around, I think, uh, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Liverpool, not really worried that a stumble is going to affect them in terms of winning the title. We all know that at some point between now and and is at the end of July that Liverpool will pick up those six points needed to become champions for the first time in 30 years. So there's no real worry of a span of being thrown in the works at Goodison Park long term. So there's, there is that. And then there's also the fact that, you know, there's been nothing to kind of get excited about for three months from a football perspective. So if Liverpool were playing, you know, I don't know, Liverpool could play anyone and, and the excitement would be there. So then you just throw in the fact that it is a Mesa derby don't think there'll be any apprehension at all. I think it will just be full steam ahead. Liverpool fans will be looking forward to it so much from obviously behind the sofa, behind in front of the TV, wherever they, they choose to watch it this weekend. And it will just be a, a massive occasion, even allowing for the fact that there won't be anyone in, in a stadium that holds 40,000. Uh, it's just going to be a, a momentous occasion. Uh, one for the history books, uh, you, you'd suggest. You know, I, I don't know, but I, I wouldn't have thought that any other Mayside derby has been played behind closed doors before, so this is the first in 236 games where it will be played without any fan there. So, uh, yeah, certainly one for the history books, and it could actually be the one where Liverpool win the league. So, um, what odds would you have got on that back in August? I don't know. No, absolutely bizarre that, as you say, with eight games to go, I think the earliest a Premier League title has ever been won is with five games to spare. Dan, Liverpool could conceivably do it with eight. I know on Friday we're going to talk all about at great detail the derby but just sort of it is one of those facts that immediately does sort of spring to mind. Yeah I mean and it's very easily lost in all this that you know it's not just about Liverpool are ending this long wait for this holy grail of a of a 19th league title but it was due to be wrapped up in in record time and and may yet still be. Um you you always kind of think to yourself in some ways you measure it almost in 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 kind of the calendar rather than the actual number of games, and yeah, you know, I can I can not remember too many teams wrapping it. Well, I can't ever remember it being wrapped up in March. I remember City's 100 point season a couple of years ago. They could that could have been done in mid April, and they ended up if you remember losing a two goal lead to Manchester United when they could have 
actually sealed it against the biggest rivals. That was the match in between the two Champions League quarterfinals when we knocked them out. But um, it's it's an incredible prize in front of Liverpool. And obviously, whether Liverpool can clinch against Everton depends on how your boys on Wednesday night do Arsenal. So in some ways, it is kind of out of Liverpool's own hands. But I don't know if that will make you know an all an enormous amount of difference in terms of how they approach the game. It's the first game back. They will all be you know mentally and physically refreshed. Uh, you know after after this break, when I think you know we did see some signs of fatigue uh, and just you know the, just the incredible intensity they put into the last two years of football. In maybe the I think that Liverpool lost four four out of the last six games before before the suspension. I think it was something in, in all competitions. I, I, I think it was something like that. So whether whether the league is wrapped up against Everton or not, um, Liverpool will massively be wanting to go in there, put a statement down, keep the incredible record they've got against Everton going. You know, remember it, it's it's coming on uh, for ten years. October twenty ten was the last time Everton won a derby anywhere. So whether you know, whether Liverpool can actually clinch it or not on uh, on Sunday isn't the biggest issue. I don't think it's the most important thing is going out there performing and hopefully giving all you know get the watching public a, a good game to enjoy. But from a Liverpool point of view, giving us all bragging rights and the chance to enjoy uh, another victory and a good another good result over the Blues. Hopefully, well, one man then who has given Liverpool plenty of reason to, to celebrate and celebrate plenty of victories and his goals besides is Mohamed Salah today turns 28 at the peak of his powers. Obviously, he should have been at the end of his, his third year at Anfield, but Gorsty, I suppose, <clears throat> in the, what, two and two-third seasons he's had at Liverpool, when he arrived from Rome back in 2017, I don't think anyone probably quite saw it go, going as well as it has done. 100 Premier League games 70 goals and this is a guy who isn't even a striker yeah it's incredible I mean I think uh, you're on a superlative for Mohamed Salah and, and you, you mentioned that about um, no one really expecting him to, to become as, as good as he was I mean I had a chance to, to chat to Jürgen Klopp back in September I think it was last season uh, or last year and, and we, we had a chat about Salah and, and he said that I think he was going to be that good now because nobody did um, and you know we Ended that first season with 44 goals, and I think Liverpool knew they were getting a top player. And, and Klopp's spoken before about how the head of recruitment, um, Dave Fallows, and, and the chief scout Barry Hunter kind of convinced Klopp that he was the man to sign in the summer of 2017. But no one at the club, um, not least Klopp, thought he'd be anywhere near as, as big a player as he has become. 44 goals in that debut season. Um, I've never known a player to play to get that much in in my lifetime. I think Ian Rush. Um, is, is the only one who scored more in a, in a season for Liverpool. Um, then he goes and uh, he only gets 27 the following season, which is paltry return, but uh, scores the, the, the crucial one, the Champions League final, to, to help Liverpool win that. And now he's going to be the, well, probably going to be Liverpool's top scorer in the year when they finally win the league. So can't speak highly enough of Salah. I think he's an absolute genius of a footballer. He's, he's an absolute superstar off the pitch. Um and uh, just looking forward to, to the rest of his his years at Anfield for however long he stays, because I think uh, there's no doubt about it. I think for all the all the big players that Liverpool have in this squad, I think he is the, the one that stands out for me. That the, you know the the superstar among among the others, and um, just we're privileged to watch him every week. Really, does he fall into that category, Dan? A bit, I suppose, where 
the territory Van Dyke's gone into where he is so consistently superb that we almost take him for granted and forget to shower him in praise that we do with other players who begin to perhaps perform above the general form they usually show. Yeah, I think there probably is something in that. I mean, people people do take it for granted because he is his consistency, his excellence. Um, I think as well the way that you know it, it, that first season was was freakish. Forty four goals. It felt like he was scoring every single game. You know, a couple of goals every single game. And it's very easy for some people to actually look at the goal return, the assist return, and say, "Oh well, he's kind of declined a little bit." I I think he's a better player now than he was two years ago. I think he's just as dangerous on his own, but I think he's, I think he, he was smart enough as well to realise that, you know, he was going to be a bit of a marked man after that first season, you know, he, you know, but for the, the vagaries of fate in Kiev, you know, it, it could and should have ended in glory with, with, with the European Cup, but, but, and, and then he had the kind of, you know, not just the trauma of the way that whole planned out, that, the way that panned out there, but also uh, the, the ensuing World Cup with Egypt in the summer when he wasn't fully fit, there were problems off the field. You know they, they were eliminated, eliminated in the group stages, and I do remember in, you know, in the first half of last season. It seems a long time ago now, so we're talking like you know autumn of twenty eighteen, and he was scoring a fair few goals. And, and there was a couple of times when you know he'd score, and he didn't you know he, he didn't look, didn't, he wasn't particularly smiley after you know, and, and it was looked almost a little bit sullen in the celebrations. And there was a few kind of you know hot take think pieces. What what's the you know, what's the beef with with, with Mohammed Salah? And I think maybe it was just a case of him getting used to this new kind of stage of his career this new perception his his new place in the, in the football in the football reality and, and the football world also as well yeah, the, the the level Liverpool were now performing at the likes of uh, Sadio uh, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah but also all around the pitch there were there were players who were becoming superstars themselves maybe not facing the same extent that Salah would be but you know, I, I could only absolutely endorse what what Gorsley said there. It's been an absolute. I've been watching Liverpool since nineteen eighty four, and it's it's been a, a utter privilege to watch Mo Salah. Not and not just for what he's done on the field, the way he carries himself. I think the cultural um, aspect that <clears throat> that, he, that he's brought to the party, the way he's kind of changed the perceptions of Muslim people for some people. You know, I think he's had an enormous impact since he's uh, since he's arrived at Liverpool on and off the field. And I think we're very blessed to have him. And he's a guy, at least we forget as well, that has had to overcome a fair few setbacks, albeit not at Liverpool. But when Liverpool initially wanted to sign him and he goes to Chelsea, that didn't work out. He goes to Italy. And I suppose when he came to Liverpool, Gorsley, there were a lot of question marks over not the sheer volume of goals he could score that he's shown that he can score, but actually, was he even going to be a regular player for a side like Liverpool who wanted to go from reaching the Champions League to actually challenging year in, year out for league titles? I think he was always going to be a regular starter because Liverpool had actually broken their transfer record to land them at 36.9 million, which just a little bit more than they paid for Andy Carroll a few years earlier. So I don't think that was ever in question, but it was a case of, is this guy going to kind of live up to... Is he going to reshow the form he, he he did in Italy with Roma, or is he going to be the player who couldn't cut the mustard at Chelsea? And I think within weeks, I think we knew the, the answer that we were getting, didn't we? When he, he kind of just came onto the scene and, and started sticking them away left and right. And I think too much is made of the fact that people were saying he needs loads of chances to score because he scored forty four in that first season. So if he needs loads of chances, how many was he getting? I certainly don't remember it being 
that many. Um, I remember a game against Watford where he scored four in the snow and he just absolutely couldn't get near him. And that was one of his best performances in a Liverpool shirt. And I remember the Roma semi-final that year um, where he was the, the best player in the world that night. He was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I think he was always going to be a star for Liverpool. It was just a case of could he kind of propel them to, to the levels that they wanted to get at. And, you know, alongside many other great players, he's been able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no no, uh, no qualms about him. He's, he's 28 today, is he? You mentioned his birthday today. So, um, yeah, he's still got a good, good few years left at the top of Anfield, hasn't he? Certainly does. And I suppose crucially as well with him, Dan, is he's a guy who does come up with big moments in big games as well. He's not a flat-track bully who just shows up against sides who roll up at Anfield like Gorsty mentioning the likes of, of Watford, who I think actually are the side he scored most of his goals against because he's scored eight. He scored four of those in, in one game, but he's done it against Chelsea. He's done it against Tottenham. He's done it against Rome. It, it always seems to be, when the big occasion calls, Mohamed Salah is one of the first players to stick his hand up and show that he's there. Well, absolutely. And I'd say the prime example of that was, was last it was the, uh, last June in Madrid, when you know his, his, his final action in the Champions League final the previous year was to leave the field in tears, and then within 24 seconds or whatever it was, Liverpool have a penalty, and you know some players might shrink from the task or might look a little bit anxious about it, but he grabbed the ball straight away and uh, cracked it in the back of the net, in the in the back of the net, no messing, and it was it was very clear that he that he really wanted to to make amends. I suppose the other goal that that always stands out in my mind in that regard. And I think this was a real key goal in the whole kind of clock journey, really, was that second leg at the Etihad, um, the, the Champions League quarter in 2008, when even though Liverpool had a 3-0 first leg lead and, as I mentioned, City had lost the chance to clinch the title at home to United in the weekend in between, uh, the, you know, the, it, was, it was tortuous the first 55-odd minutes of that second leg. City scored in the first two minutes. They had a perfectly good goal disallowed just before half-time. And you know, I was actually sitting in... I was in the ground, but in with the City fans, that was the only ticket I could get. And it was it was horrible. You, you kind of felt if City, if City get a second there, the whole deck of cards could come down. But you know, the, he was when the ball broke soon after Sadio Mane burst through on um burst through kind of the city defence, and he just this nerveless chip over the goalkeeper, it just showed the absolute temperament that he's got. I mean, I think the other thing I'd want to say as well is that um he, obviously he's got outstanding ability, outstanding mentality, but one I think I think is the real key assets and what you know some great players have and is what every team would want. He has this ability to to lift the players around him and and to make those around him play better themselves. And I think this obviously there's been the odd moment here and there where maybe you know he, could, he, he he's a striker. He wants to score sometimes. He is a bit greedy. And obviously we saw the little flare up between him and Sadio Mane at Burnley back in August. But I don't think there's necessarily too much wrong and, and a little bit of creative tension there sometimes. And it's clear that you know that they are good mates, and ultimately, it both that kind of occasional little flare-up will only happen because of that sheer desperation, and will to win. And ultimately, these are the kind of players that you want in your team. These are the kind of players that, for many years, Liverpool were too short of, and now they're there in abundance. And you know, I think we're all very glad for that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We speak a lot of the time, Gorsty, about Trent reinventing that right-back role, creating a new sort of position and functionality for a right full-back. Robertson does so on the left. But I suppose Salah and Mane 
since Salah's arrival, that pushed Manny over to the left. And the two of them, we've seen goal-scoring wingers, the likes of Robin and Bale, players coming in off the right onto left foots and scoring a lot of goals in their career. But Mohamed Salah, when you watch him, he plays so much higher than what you'd even just expect a normal winger. He is the guy right on the edge of that defensive line the whole time, albeit in a wide position. He has effectively recreated that role himself as well, has he not? Yeah, I, I think I think the game's changed a bit. I think now the, the big stars are your wide forwards, aren't they? Or your inside forwards. If you look at the likes of Neymar and, and Kylian Mbappe at PSG, they they kind of operate on the on the opposite flanks, if you like. Um Salah and Mane, no different. Um, you know, for years Messi was on the right side, wasn't he? And allowed to cut in. Uh, so I think I think those types of players are the ones that are in demand more than, than any other in world football now. And and Mohamed Salah is right up there with, with the best of them. Um, he, he kind of, uh, as as Dan mentioned there about the kind of like the the, the beginning points of, of last season, he was playing as a number nine now and again with Roberto Firmino a little withdrawn and, and Jed Anjikeri was getting the run on the team. But I always thought that Salah's best position was on the right of that front three and, and fair play to Sadio Mane, but to be fair to him, because he was Liverpool's best player before Salah arrived on the right of that front three. And it's just adapted seamlessly to play it on the opposite flank to the point where now they're both world-class talents um, playing in playing in their best positions. You wouldn't dream of, of swapping either of them now, would you? What they've done for Liverpool, playing on the right and left. So uh, Salah um, has always been afforded the chance to kind of um, perform as best he can in, in his in his own role, and, and he certainly uh, done that from day one, almost as we say. Um, didn't take him long to to kind of find a stride at Liverpool, and within weeks he was he was banging him in from uh, from all angles. I suppose what's left to say on uh, Mohamed Salah, Dan, is probably precious little other than what he can actually go on to achieve, because his goal scoring has been at such a, a volume. As I said before, he's scored the most goals in 100 league games for Liverpool with 70 from 100 so far and if you do sort of look at his his numbers overall 91 goals for Liverpool in 144 games he's he's won a European Cup he's going to win a Premier League he's won two golden boots already could still make that three with being on 16 goals when the season was stopped he will go down I'm sure as a, a Liverpool legend won't he? Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, in my eyes, I think he already is, and, and I'm not sure it would necessarily take this hopefully seemingly inevitable league title to add to that. I think we can we can only hope that you know he's he is as kind of committed and bought into the clock project as everybody else seems to be. The new manager signed a new deal um, just before the start of new of the new year, taking into 2024, I think it is, which kind of gives the impression that he's here for the long haul. I think I'm right in saying that um, Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane are also, they're not already 28, turn 28 in the next year or so as well. So, we may have touched upon this before, you know, the league coming on the back of the Champions League. I don't, I, I wouldn't have ever said this was a massive concern, but some people might have wondered that would Liverpool felt that they kind of scaled the mountain once they won the league? They've won the European Cup, they've won the league. <clears throat> Where else is there to go? <clears throat> I think we can all you know, be glad and grateful for the fact that the way things happened, the fact that we had the Champions League run and success last year, and obviously the celebrations and the homecoming that, they, that Salah and everyone was part of, the fact that they're now, certainly in the, in the immediate future, they're not going to be able to have that this time. I would hope that that would kind of like 
you know, in, invoking them a desire to go and do it again, to go and re repeat the league, re you know, uh, repeat, repeat what they've done this season, or certainly you know, win the league again, win more trophies, so that they can be part of these incredible communal, you know, communal experiences with the city, um, and you know, for their own personal and professional pride. I mean, it, they could look at you know, they might you know, the likes of Salah, Mane, whoever they might get one big more contract at Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich. But would it have this, you know, would it mean as much as doing it with Liverpool with these lads that they've kind of broken this ceiling of trophy success with? They could, they've got a chance to get, you know, in my mind, they're already legends, but they've, they've, re they've got the opportunity here to really go on and put themselves in the very, very top bracket. Because as a club like Liverpool, you know, to become the top, top legends, you need more than one league, you need more than one European Cup, and these lads have the chance to do that. So it's up to them. Is that the thing as well, Gorsty, that we talk about the front three? effectively getting old together all turning 28 what what an age that is but all all sort of being at the same age and reaching sort of their 30s and that stage of their career together without actually sort of just sitting back and thinking well they were signed when they were 24 25 to develop and grow together and now let's enjoy them for the next two or three years before before thinking oh these players all need replacing because they are elite top of the game best in the world in the roles that they play in this side yeah there's a lot to be said for succession planning and, and of course that'll be going on behind the scenes and, and they will have options and players you think can eventually fill the void but I think fans sometimes get a bit too caught up in that and we've seen that with the team of Werner fallouts so many people for example a um, couple of couple of people I know a cousin of mine and, and a mate of mine who haven't really spoken too much about the football this season uh, when the Werner deal fell through, they got in touch with me and, and they were saying, oh, what, what, what's gone on there? How come that hasn't happened? And I'm thinking, Liverpool are 25 points clear at the top of the Premier League and he hadn't once messaged me to, to say, like, oh, how, how good is this team we're able, we're able to watch? Mm. I think fans put a little bit too much stock in it sometimes. So, um, look, just enjoy it. These, these players, Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Mohamed Salah, they're the best attacking players in the world, you know, does it matter that the five years down the line they're not going to be as good as they are now? Just enjoy it while it's here would be my message to supporters um, and let the people who are employed to, to kind of think up succession plans do that um, because Liverpool have certainly built up enough, enough credit behind the scenes to, to go without criticism for now um, because, let's face it, since 2016 you barely put a foot wrong in, in the transfer market or on the pitch. So, um Let's just enjoy what we're about to witness and what we have enjoyed for the last few years, I say. Yeah, no, certainly, Dan, you said you started watching the Reds in the, the mid-80s. Of course, it was a golden time for the club, winning trophies and cups galore. That well very quickly ran dry and Liverpool have waited 30 years for a league title to get back to this level. There's no point in sort of wishing away today for tomorrow, is there? No, I 100% agree with what Gorsi said. I mean, I think it is just a, it's, it's symptomatic of the modern game of modern society that people are constantly looking one step ahead. Whereas, you know, sometimes you actually just need to enjoy where you are now and be appreciate what you've got now because it won't last forever. Um, I mean, yes, you know, it, it's been 30 years, you know, basically my, the whole of my adolescence and, and adult life so far. I've been waiting for Liverpool to win the league. It's not like we haven't had anything. You know, there's been four European Cup wins, four European Cup finals in that time, two of them won and various FA Cup and League Cups and, and so on. But, you know, the league is Liverpool's bread and butter. It's what we've all been brought up on. It's, it's the truest barometer of greatness to you. To be, you know, Europe's great, but you want to be kings of your own patch. So, it, it, 
it does strike me sometimes. And I don't think I'm not saying this specifically about Liverpool fans, but some fans in the modern game they always seem to prioritise transfer transfers like trophies to some people, and I just don't get it. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. You know when we when I was delighted when we signed Van Dijk, and you know sometimes you know, transfer news can be exciting sometimes, but. I think the, the the cart's got ahead of the horse a little bit sometimes, and this is one of the greatest Liverpool teams that we'll ever see. You know the football they've played, the consistency they've shown, their approach to the game. I mean, I, I just happened to notice a couple of days ago that Liverpool are top of the Fair Play League, which you know, listen, if if if, if Liverpool were one point clear and bottom of the Fair Play League, I wouldn't be that bothered. But but the fact that they're twenty five points clear at the top of the Premier League and top of the the Fair Play League, I think that says something about their approach to the game. And I think that's why, even if obviously, all right, so to some people, the name, the word Liverpool will always be like a red rag to a ball, they'll never get us. I do think that in a general sense, there's quite a lot of the wider footballing public have enjoyed this Liverpool team, not just because of all our near misses and maybe it's our time, but because of the way, the, the, the kind of joie de vivre, the, the enjoyment that they seem to get with playing with each other, which seems to transmit itself to the supporters. And because ultimately, that's what, you know, I've said it a million times, that's what football's about, enjoyment. And it's very easy to get caught up in the business and the pressure and the will to win and, and all that kind of stuff. But Jurgen Klopp, God bless him, has managed to kind of find the perfect blend of all that. And I'm just really thrilled that finally things are, it looks like things are going to get going again very shortly. And we're going to get this league won. And hopefully this can knock on into next season and uh, more successes and more victories for the Reds. That's what we want to see. Yeah, no, and hopefully, of course, it will be back underway on, on Sunday away at Goodison and then the, the first home game back Gorsty against Crystal Palace and I know you've written something on the, the site today in terms of Liverpool and Anfield and we've seen in the NRL for example Rugby League and Australia that cardboard cutouts have been there there's been crowd noise piped in Germany have also been doing the, the cardboard cutouts as well but Liverpool aren't likely to take that route are they? What's what's sort of the uh, the position that Liverpool are taking at the moment with Anfield? Yeah, so we've seen it in the Bundesliga, haven't we, with the with the cardboard cutouts in, and was it um, was it much in Gladbach who could actually pay exactly. pay for you get your own face in there as part of the the, the stand? But they've really got no uh, no plans to do that, and uh, they're not going to be piping in the artificial crowd noise either. I think that will be left to, to Sky Sports for the for the people at home to kind of make the most of. And um, it's one of those one of those things with the crowd noise the you'd initially expect people to be quite sceptical of it because it's new and it's different and it's not quite true football tradition. But I've seen more people than not kind of say it's a, it's a decent little decent little thing to have when, when you've got no fans there. But uh, Liverpool won't, won't be doing it during the games at Anfield, as I said, it'll be left to Sky. But they are in talks with certain fan groups about possibly decorating Anfield a little bit for that game against Crystal Palace. Um, I mean... There's been no decision made on it yet. I'm told that it might come a little later on this week, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how that kind of manifests itself if they do kind of offer up free reign to certain fans to um, decorate it and feel as, as they wish. Because let's face it, this game against Crystal Palace is going to be behind closed doors and it's probably going to be the one where Liverpool are crowned champions. So there's going to have to be some sort of um, pomp and ceremony, if you like, as, as best as they can. So it'll be interesting to see how that does happen. But uh, Talks are ongoing on with that. Hopefully, we might have a little bit more later this week. Yeah, hope so. And I suppose, down with just how much the COP and the Liverpool supporters mean to the club, the role that Jurgen Klopp always says that the, the fans play. When you think of 
games kicking off at Anfield, it's not just you'll never walk alone. It's all those banners that are in the cop. It would be nice to see at least some of them for the for the potential title win or just for the, the remaining games. It is part of the furniture, is it not? Absolutely. You know, I would be, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that your know, talks are ongoing. I would be very hopeful that, that, you know, Liverpool do flag, you know, Obviously, I'm biased, but I, I think it's fair to say nobody, nobody does flags better than us. You know, it, I think I remember seeing a thing with the Champions League final. You know, and Tottenham, Tottenham, I, I always think a well-supported club, but the vast majority of English clubs have flags that are variants of the St George's Cross or whatever. Liverpool's flags are always very bespoke, very individual, and you know, and and sum up the kind of that, the diversity and the uniqueness of our support. So I would very much expect to see that to see you know Anfield look decorated in that regard. Um, one thing that Klopp said after the friendly against Blackburn kind of struck, struck out to me when he was saying that, you know, these obviously these are unusual times and we kind of have to create our own atmosphere. And I, I thought I thought that was very well put. And, you know, it's easier said than done. And I think, you know, around the city, people will be making their own atmosphere when they whether they're getting, you know, safely together with family or friends or whatever. Um, but I think hopefully in the way that they go about the games, that will create an atmosphere of its own as well as regards the um the crowd noise i mean i, I back at what gorsi said there when this was first being talked about um you know piped in artificial crowd noise i remember kind of thinking oh, it's i remember thinking it sounded awful and you know it did a horrible phony plastic kind of idea but having watched some of the early bundesliga games without it and then having watched some of the games with it it definitely does improve the viewing experience uh, as a tv spectator now, I mean, you could you could argue that it sets a dangerous precedent, and that when fans are back in ground, and if some clubs don't feel their fans allowed to start <laughs> faking it, then you, you, you're entering dangerous dystopian type territory there. But I think for the moment, as we're all kind of emerging from this pandemic, um, if you know, I think I've read somewhere that you know, that Sky or whoever will be making it available, and I think if it's available as and where I'm watching, I, I will go for it because it does. It just, I mean, it, it's going to be quite bittersweet, you know, for, for the, whether it's for those of us who would have ordinarily been in the ground or not. Um, you know, it, it's we're thrilled to see football back on. We'll be thrilled to see Liverpool winning the league, but obviously, it is going to hurt that we're not there. But if it's if it, if you're watching it in almost silence, then that would make it even worse. So, I think we've all got to make the best of this situation, take whatever joy and positivity from it that we can, and you know, hopefully, we'll be celebrating before too long the fact that Liverpool at last are going to win the league. Well, we do hope that is the case and hopefully it won't be too long until that is the case. But that's it from us here on this edition, this episode of the Blood Red podcast. Of course, we'll be back on Friday to look in depth into the derby. And by then we'll know, of course, if that is the game that Liverpool can secure that elusive Premier League title. My thanks to Paul and Dan and to you also from listening in or watching in wherever you have joined us. Don't forget the football is nearly back. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.